scripture reminds us to seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. But how can we do this on a daily basis? In this series, we're exploring Crosspoint's core value of earnestly seeking God. Together, we're training and practicing in spiritual disciplines like Bible study, prayer, fasting, and Sabbath rest. Together, we're focusing on the disciplines that draw us into a deeper relationship with God and strengthen us spiritually in all areas of life. Together, we're being equipped as passionate followers of Jesus to renew our community and world for Christ. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Thank you, Pastor Lon, for reading that. As Pastor Lon talked about in the welcome, we're starting a new series this morning where we are going to be unpacking or going after one of our core values, which is earnestly seeking God, meaning that we want to be as close to Jesus as we possibly can. We want to get as close to him as is earthly possible. And one of the ways that the Bible talks about that is they talk about it in terms of walking in the Spirit. By walking in the Spirit, one would really be with Christ. It's a way that we start to seek Christ. See, the goal, if the goal is to live in the Spirit, to be that close to God, the question becomes, well, how do we actually get there? That sounds great. I know how many of you have like New Year's goals, right? You already forgot about them, right? If you don't have a plan to get there, then you're all like the rest of us who never do them, right? And so if we want to get somewhere, then we need mechanisms, we need practices, we need a pathway to really living in the Spirit. And that's what Pastor Lon mentioned earlier, which is these spiritual disciplines are these pathways, these practices that the church, and even before the church, that God's people, Israel, have done for thousands of years that are ways that we would be able to be on the path to walk in step with the Spirit of God. And that's what we're going to explore in this series. And it's going to help us, I think, if we are willing to open up to learning some new practices and then actually trying to do them. 
I think what we might find is that we might get closer to God. We would earnestly seek him individually, but as a community of believers, that that starts to change how we interact with one another, that it would even potentially change how we worship together as a gathered community of people. This morning, what I want to do is kind of set the stage for this thing. We're not going to really talk about any specific discipline. We're going to get into those later. I want to talk about why. I want to talk about why in the world would we even go after this? What's the point? If we don't ask the why, then I don't think we're going to stay in it for the long haul. And as we just read in Galatians chapter 5, Paul is pretty convinced that walking in the Spirit is the thing that we're supposed to do. And you know, if you've read any of Paul, Paul's letters, he's pretty hardcore about stuff. And he believes that this is the way that we as Christians are supposed to be going if we want to earnestly seek God. But the trouble is this, we also have this flesh thing, right? Walking in the Spirit sounds great. It's like, yeah, I want to earnestly seek God. That sounds awesome. But then we have this other side of us, this flesh, this old man, the old sinful humanity that is clutching to you and will not let go of you. We've all felt it. And there's this tension within us between the flesh and the spirit. And that's what Paul is talking about in this passage. And it's similar to what I talked about a couple weeks ago. We talked about the kingdom of God, where the kingdom of God is, it's here, but it's also not yet. And we're living in between this thing. Well, the flesh and the spirit works perfectly into that conversation. And that's what we're going to kind of go after today. And the Galatians in this book are experiencing these tensions And I think it has a lot to say to us today if we're willing to hear. So we're going to get into this. I want to give you a little bit of a background on the book of Galatians because we are catching this letter at the very end. And Paul has been making a really intense argument this whole time. And if we don't at least mention it, I think we're going to maybe miss out on what's going on. So quick backstory is Paul goes there on a journey. He preaches the gospel. The Spirit of God moves. People get saved. It's amazing. There's house churches. You know, everyone's all happy. But then people kind of come in and they start telling these new Christians, hey, you need to come back under Judaism. You need to come under the covenant, right? You need to be circumcised. You need to start following the rites and kind of rituals of this thing. And they're kind of bringing them back under something that they've been freed from. And Paul has a lot to say in this letter about what's happening there. Because it's actually going to be taking away the freedom of these new believers. So you have that happening. You also have people, you've got to remember, people are being saved from paganism. From like really bad stuff where like you can do whatever you want in religion. And so there's people who are getting saved who've come to Christ, and they hear about all this freedom, but they're still engaged in all this other stuff they used to do in their kind of pagan Roman worship, if that makes sense. You know, that's why Paul makes that really nice list he makes that we just read, that's really like, oh, you know, do we really want to look at that? Because people are still engaging in that stuff and saying that they're filled with the Spirit of God, and those things are in conflict. So you have these things happening in Galatia, and I want to make two points. The main point that Paul is making all the way through this letter is, listen to this, is this. That justification or being right with God can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. This is a tenet of, of our faith. 
It can't happen through the law because no one can fulfill that Old Testament. That doesn't make it bad or anything like that. We'll talk about that later. But righteousness, right with God, can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. And his goal is to say, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He talks about this in chapter 5. But that freedom only comes through faith. And I want to say this because I think what Paul is getting at is that these Galatians were misunderstanding a little bit the definition of freedom. And I would care to say we do too. So when I say freedom, I bet you everybody had something pop up in their mind. Right? Maybe, you know, it's freedom fries, right? That's what I think about. I love French fries. We think of kind of this American freedom, right? The freedom to do whatever I want. The freedom to pursue, pursue the best for me. It's kind of self-focused. It tends to be about better in ourselves. It's, we, we think of a freedom from authority or without accountability. That's not the kind of freedom that Paul's talking about. It's not a freedom to do whatever you want without consequences, that does not exist, let me just tell you that right now. It's a freedom, an invitation to a life in the Spirit whereby we are free to serve and bless God and other people. That is the kind of freedom that Paul is talking about. He says this in Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So there's a misunderstanding of freedom that's happening. The second thing, and this is really, this is really interesting when I learned about this. In the Roman Empire, the, the Jewish people had a Roman exemption from worship. So they could pray for Rome, but they did not have to pray to Rome. So remember, the Romans have all of these gods, and the Jews have one god. Right, the Lord our God is one. That's the Shema, right? They were able, I don't know how they got this deal, <laughs> so that they could participate in this empire but not have to worship these Roman gods. This is a really big deal. This allows them to live in this world without having to uh, worship other gods and kind of become idolaters to their own god. Does that make sense a little bit? That's happening. Now, you've got these new Christians who are getting saved and they're, they're not quite pagans anymore. They're not really Orthodox Jewish people. And so, they're coming in, and remember, these early Christians, this is just a sect of Judaism. It's not like Christianity in the way we think of it today. It was, it was very Jewish. And so these Christians come in, and they're doing different stuff, and these people who are under Judaism are getting nervous that their Roman exemption is going to get taken away because these new Christians do weird stuff. And they're preaching this gospel, this Messiah, and so it's creating this tension, and so people are like, hey, we're gonna, we need to pull you back under our little rule, and then you can stay part of our little clause in the Roman Empire, because if not, we stand to lose this thing that we have. They want safety. And so you start to see that there's these political and social and theological things at work, and I got to tell you, those things are always at work for us as well. Right now, as we open the word and talk, there are political and social and cultural and things that are pressing in on us, that are informing the way that we think. And a lot of them are trying to get us to go away from the way the Spirit wants to take us. And we have to start to be aware of that. These opponents of Paul are saying there's two ways. You can either become like fully Jewish, 
and that keeps everything good, or you go full-on pagan, which isn't good as well, but Paul's saying there's a third way, and it's the way of the Spirit. It's the way of true freedom. That's where Paul is going, and that's what Paul's arguing for, and so this new way begins with recognizing the difference between the flesh and the Spirit. I'm going to read the first few verses again. So what Paul says, so I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. How about the flesh and the spirit? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are in the midst of a real battle between the flesh and the spirit. We are all, if your faith is in Jesus, you are in a battle, my friends. Welcome to war. <laughs> and if you don't know that, then I hope when you walk away this morning, you are aware of what is going on. We are in a real battle because the spirit and the flesh, they have different desires, they have different goals, they have different outcomes. I want to talk about the spirit for a second. The spirit wants to produce fruit in your life, and we're going to talk about what that is in a minute. This fruit honors God, it blesses other people, and if you look at it, if you notice we're supposed to walk in the spirit, we're supposed to be led by the spirit, this isn't just some like mystical force or something. We're talking about the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of Jesus. In John 14, 26, Jesus says this, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. This is the Spirit of Jesus that we're talking about, the Spirit that descended on Jesus at his baptism, the Spirit that revealed that Jesus was the Messiah to, to Peter, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the spirit that was poured out on in the early time in the book of Acts, that is the Holy Spirit that we're talking about when we're called to walk in the spirit. It's not just some force, it's God himself. And the spirit wants to lead us towards peace and reconciliation and hope. It leads us into God's kingdom in the way that he wants us to live. But the flesh, see the flesh on the other hand wants something different. This word flesh, right, talks about like our sinful humanity, the person that we were before we came to faith in Christ, the unredeemed world and its desires. And the flesh wants nothing more than self-gratification. The flesh wants itself. The flesh is in love with itself. It's all about the individual and the problem is that that leads to destruction. If you were to read earlier in chapter 5, Paul talks about that that flesh causes us to bite and devour one another. It actually causes us to separate from each other. See, the Spirit is moving and wants to bring unity. It wants to bring us together. It wants us to get healthy. The flesh wants to pull us apart. It wants to separate us. And when you're separated from people, things get really messed up. You become so self-consumed because that's all that you can see. So the spirit brings together, the flesh separates, and they're in conflict with one another, right? I talked about we're at war, but we're at war within ourselves. This is why this is so complicated. There's a war being waged for every one of us, and it's happening right now, and it's happening in your heart and in your mind. 
And you can't just say, I don't want to be part of it. You can't just be neutral. You can't be Switzerland. There's no like, I don't want to engage in that war. We're just going to stay put, you know. If you are unwilling to recognize it, you will lose it. We're at a battle, and it's happening inside of us all the time. And because of that, I love that Paul says this, you can't just do whatever you want. (laughs) You just got to like spell it out. When we're trying to walk in the Spirit, you can't just trust your gut all the time. You can't just trust your intuition because we're completely depraved. Your gut might be wrong. Your intuition could be bad. And so we need something different, and we have something different. We have the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us. And Paul talks about this a little bit more in Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 21. He talks about this battle that's going on. Listen to this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I felt that before. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's this battle that's being waged. And, but Jesus has delivered us from that. If you believe it. The question is, do we believe that we've actually been delivered? And are we willing to live in light of what we believe? Because that will start to change your reality. Because the problem is that if we don't, the flesh is going to lead us back into bondage. This is what Paul talks about in verse 18. And he's reminding his readers, and he's reminding you and me here today, that because Jesus has come, we don't need what he calls a guardian of the law anymore. Because that was an allusion to the real thing. Christ has come. And it doesn't mean that the law, the Torah, the Old Testament's irrelevant. Not at all. It means that we can't be made right God by being perfectly obedient because we can't be perfectly obedient. We all mess up. Every one of you. Every one of you screws up. We all do. I don't even want to tell you all the things I've done. Right? We all mess up. We are not perfect. It's only through Christ, his life, and his death that we're made right with God. So the point he's making is that so going back under that thing cannot bring you freedom because you've been delivered from it. It makes no logical sense to go back to something that can't help you. And so going back under the law is not the answer, but nor is continuing to live the life that you used to live where you just did whatever you want. And then he gets into this list. Man, Paul loves a good list. The acts of the flesh are obvious, right? These are obvious. I, you know, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then, just in case you thought that was it, and the like. So he's like, etc. right? Just in case we're like, well, the, oh, wait, the, one I, the one I do is not on there. <laughs> he gets you with and the like. Listen. I warn you, as I did before, so he said this to them probably in person, 
that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a warning, church. There's no other way to put it. See, as we grow in the Spirit, the acts of the flesh should be obvious, but they're obviously not so obvious because Paul is like, well, let me just, (laughs) I got to spell this out for you guys. And we want to skip this list, right? I want to. Right? How awkward if I'd be like, okay, I'm going to read one of the sins, and then if you are guilty of it, you stand up, right? We'll just kind of walk through them, right? Like, no, we get to it, we're like, the acts of the flesh are, but the fruit of the Spirit, right? But the truth is, if we were to really be honest with ourselves, we're all guilty of something in this list, right? We are, right? You may not be into witchcraft, but you might have had a fit of rage. You might get envious, right? If we're honest, those things happen. But what, what he's saying is not that if you just have done these one time, then you're out. We're talking about continuous action in the same direction. So let me try to explain this. These acts are not bad. They're, these acts are bad because they're not characteristics of the kingdom of God. These will not exist in the fullness of God's kingdom. So why in the world would we participate in them today? That's the kind of the logic here. If you read Revelation 21 of the new heavens and new earth, you are not going to see anything on that list. So Paul's saying, start, don't live like that anymore. You don't have to live like anymore. You've been freed from that. Why would we continue? And he says, right, those who live like this, right, in that continuous motion, if we're in the habit of doing these things, if we love the acts of the flesh and we just want to pursue those all the time and all the time and all the time, you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Paul says. And here's what I would say. You wouldn't like the kingdom of God. It would be really awkward for you because it's not what your heart longs for. Right? And you would have to conclude that maybe God's spirit is not in me if I really don't want any of those things at all. As we're talking about, I'm not, I don't want to freak you out like, oh, I messed up once, so I'm out. We're talking about habitual actions in the same direction. And there's kind of two layers to what Paul's talking about when he talks about inheriting the kingdom. There's a future and a present aspect. So the future is that if you just continue in this for your whole life, you really wouldn't want heaven. (laughs) Because heaven's not going to have that stuff. You wouldn't inherit the kingdom of God. Right? Eternally future oriented. But then in the present, when we engage in these things now, and remember we established a couple weeks ago that the kingdom of God is also now. So when you participate in those things, you are not participating in the kingdom of God. Because those things are not in Jesus' kingdom. Does that make sense? So when we, op- when we do those, we fall into those things. Well, it's like we're not, we're not part of that kingdom anymore. So we miss out on what God's doing in the present because we're engaging in those things. So there's this present and there's this future aspect to it. And this is just, this is a warning for us. And I'm saying this to myself. The freedom that I have, that you have in Christ, is not to do whatever we want. I wish it was. <laughs> I really wish the words were different, but it's not. It's a freedom to be freed from the shackles of sin. 
that enslaved us. That's what we've been freed to, church. And I think that this is a real struggle for us as American Christians, if we're honest. Because we generally live in excess. We have enough. We have rights. We have full rights as citizens, and we like that. And we have a general mindset. Don't tell me what I can and cannot do, right? I've said that to people. I think I've said it to God probably numerous times, right? And so we, it's just kind of in our DNA, right? And so when we hear you can't just use your freedom to do whatever you want, we're like, hey, don't tell me. Well, I hate to tell you, but Paul is saying exactly that. You can't do that. And the Bible says, hey, if you want to go after that, it's going to take you somewhere different. And so this is hard for all of us, but that's what the Word says. And I want to say this, though. The distinction is not that if we just do the right things, those things save us, but the way that we live and the things we start to show us, what we're pra- the things we practice show us who we are over time. I'm not talking about just you messed up here. I'm talking about over a period of time, the way that we, the things we engage in will start to show who and what we are really about. That consistency. And so now, Paul's really wanting to get to the main focus of the passage, which is the fruit of the Spirit. This passage isn't just to make us all feel bad about the acts of the flesh, although maybe some of us should feel bad. I don't know. The purpose of this passage is to get to what is life in the Spirit? What is the fruit of the Spirit? And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against against such things there is no law. There was a law against other things. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions, passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, the Spirit grants us the freedom and power to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And Paul shifts gears here. He says, the the works of the flesh were like this, but the fruit of the Spirit is different. And notice, these fruits really are externally focused. They're not really just for you and me individually. When we walk in the Spirit, we're blessed, sure. But love goes towards others. Joy goes towards others. Peace Patience, these are things that we start to give away to other people, where the acts of the flesh are all about us. Remember, the acts of the flesh pull us toward ourselves in a way. The acts, the fruit of the Spirit pulls us toward other people. And there's no law against that. In Galatians 6.10, Paul writes, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. He gets at that at the end. We can't do good to people if we got no fruit. It's the Spirit that allows us to do good to others, to bless them. And we've talked, I mentioned this probably a few months ago. We've talked about Psalm 1, right? In Psalm 1, there's this picture of this tree that's planted by the rivers, the streams, and it's beautiful, right? And it's, it's going to bear fruit in its season, right? Remember we talked about a tree doesn't eat its own fruit. Just be so weird. I don't even know if trees eat, right? I mean, not the way we do, but you know what I'm saying. The fruit is for others. 
right? So the fruit of my life is for my wife and my kids and my coworkers and all of you and your fruits for me as well. But if we don't bear fruit, we're not just robbing ourselves, we're robbing each other. Right? As opposed to, can you imagine if we're just, if the church globally is just living in the spirit, bearing fruit, nourishing each other, not focused on ourselves, oh my gosh, it'd be absolutely incredible. And Paul's making a play in words because he's saying, hey, there was this law against this. If you go back under the law, there's no freedom, but with the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. So if you want to live in excess, here's your chance. You can give out as much joy and peace and patience as you want. You can bear fruit until you're sick in the face. You can go as far as you want with bearing fruit. Ridiculous amounts of fruit. Because the irony is that the flesh, the thing that happens in our minds is we think if I, if I go after that desire that I really want, I'm going to get what I want. I'm, we think it's going to give freedom, and we all know it actually brings you into bondage. And what Christ offers us is a freedom to actually say no and yes to the right things. Freedom isn't whatever you want. Freedom is the ability to actually have self-control. That's what we're offered. And Paul gets into this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says this in verse 31. So whether you, and he's talking about practical things. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's, that's the way that Paul is living out his freedom to seek the good of other people. That is what the fruit of the Spirit does in our lives. And then Paul talks about this. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. And this is where we get back to what you believe really matters. Because Paul says, you have been crucified. Past tense, it's happened. It's an action that's been done. If we're believers in Christ, our flesh has been crucified. Now, I still have a body. Otherwise, I'd be like a floating spirit, which would be crazy, right? So my body's still here. But this is an illusion. When we hear the word crucified, we should immediately think of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who was crucified on a cross. And just as his body was killed on that cross, so too our flesh has been crucified. And the spirit now lives in us. And so therefore, because our flesh has been crucified, we want to live in the Spirit. And Jesus talks about this in John chapter 3. He says this, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So too it is with everyone the Spirit. Here's the tension. 
okay, so, okay, Paul, I've crucified the flesh. I live in the spirit. That sounds good, but I still have a body, and I still want to do these bad things. I kind of want to do the good things, not as much as I should, right? It all sounds great, but it's difficult. It's difficult for me. And here's what I want to say to us. Just because you cannot see the spirit in the way that you want does not mean it's not real. It takes faith to walk in the spirit. And one day our flesh and our spirit will be linked up in the fullness of God's kingdom. I believe that with all my, but we are in the in-between. But just because you can't see it, just because we see the effects of the wind and not the wind, it doesn't mean that the wind is not real. And so too it is with what we're in. The spirit is real. As we start to believe that, we start to see it in a powerful way. And so we want to live by the spirit because we've been born of the spirit. And because of that, Paul makes the conclusion that you need to walk in step with the Spirit, right? This word step is like a movement. It's like a military line or a dance move kind of thing. So instead of keeping habits in the flesh, what if we had habits that kept us in step with the Spirit of God? And those things would be spiritual disciplines, like we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. Those consistent movements in the same direction, habits, these spiritual disciplines and practices are the practices by which we learn to live in and by the Spirit of God. And the more that we start to do those things, the more that we start to become aware of what God wants to do in our lives and what He's doing in this world. And so, as I end here, I want to say this. As Christians, we are in a daily battle between who we were and who we are. Every day we wake up, are you going to live as the person that God, you used to be without God? Or are you going to believe in who Jesus Christ says that you are? It's the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And your belief has a huge part of that. You're a new creation if your faith is in Christ. You've been born again. You're part of the kingdom of God. You're living in the spirit. These are all ways of talking about the same thing. And it's these spiritual disciplines that are going to help to cultivate an awareness of those things. Now these disciplines, hear me, they do not make you righteous. They don't make you save. They don't make you better. They're not some new form of law. That's why Paul says at the end, hey, don't get conceited. This isn't a fruit battle, you know, like I... I raised more love, and you know, th that just falls you back under the bondage. Don't get conceited. This isn't a new law. These are things that are mechanisms to help connect us to God so that we could seek him, that we could earnestly seek him. And so my question for us is, what are we practicing? Right now, before we get into all these disciplines, where are you at right now? And are you willing to take a look at your own life? Are you willing to be open to maybe engaging in Sabbath or fasting or reading Scripture in a new way? Would you be willing to do that if that would connect you closer to God? I hope that you would be. I hope that you will be. Because there's really only a few options here. Either we pretend like it's our, the things we do in life are works that are going to save us, which we know they can't, 
and we pretend so we work really hard to do the right things and our own power, but we can't really do it. So at the end of the day, it still doesn't work, falling back under the law. Or you say you're a Christian. This one's worse, but more fun. Say you're a Christian, but just do whatever you want. <laughs> I've all been there. And we pretend that we're something that we're not. So you can do that, right? That's like the paganism kind of thing that I'm talking about. But that doesn't work out in the end either. Or you can go the third way. And you can be led by the Spirit. Where there's an actual life of freedom that Christ is offering to you. That blesses you, it blesses God, and it blesses those around you. I want to end by reading this. I was just thought about this this morning. This is from uh, one of our confessions, the Heidelberg Catechism. This is Lord's Day 20. And this is the question. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? Listen to this. First, He, as well as the Father and the Son, is eternal God. Second, He has given He has been given to me personally so that by true faith he makes me share in Christ and all his blessings and comforts me and remains with me forever. The Holy Spirit allows you to share in Christ and his benefits today and eternally. And he is with you forever. That's what we get when we start to walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that's been poured out on those who put their faith in you. God, I pray for all of us in this room. I pray for those who are listening online. God, we are in the midst of a battle, and we all fail on that battle. And there's tension for us every single day as we try to live for you. And there's days when we fail and there's days when we think we did better. Right now, would we be reminded that you are inviting us into a true life of freedom? It's not a true life of perfection. It's a life where we rely on your Holy Spirit, the advocate, our comforter, to lead us in a better way a way that leads to fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, that we would bear that fruit for the world around us. God, I pray as we work through this series that you would give us new practices, new tools, so that we can continue on our journey. God, for those in this room that have never met you, who don't know you, or maybe have never made a commitment to you, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would speak to their hearts, that you would draw them to a true life of freedom. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.